0: Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this good day. When morning gilds the skies, our hearts awakening cry, may Jesus Christ be praised. And with every note and every syllable of every word, we want to express the greatness of our God and our awe in the presence of of a Savior so magnificent. Thank you, Lord, for the music. Thank you, Lord, for all who have helped us to worship. Lord, I thank you that we are the performers and they are the prompters and they have prompted us to worship well. So we want to give you our whole hearts today. We want to love you with all that we are and we pray that you'll be glorified in this service and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God is good all the time. So we've been memorizing um, Psalm 119 together, not all 176 verses, though one of our students has memorized at least 19, I understand. And uh, I don't know how many she has, Angel or Ayana. She's going to share them with us next weekend. But I want us to share in God's Word together this morning. And starting with Psalm 119. Uh, verse 1 that says, blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart, for they do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my heart were steadfast in obeying your decrees, then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. How do we get our kids to obey? We have the same problem our Heavenly Father does. How do we get our kids to obey? Bonhoeffer said one act of obedience is better than 100 sermons on the subject. And as a fellow preacher with Bonhoeffer, I I simply say amen. So this week is simple. It's a simple sermon. Just obey God. Two words, obey God. Just, Just go do that. But before you leave, can I just ask, how are you doing with that? How are you doing with obeying the law? And how do we obey the word of the Lord? In 1927, um, silent film director Cecil B. DeMille was filming a movie called *The King of Kings* about Jesus, and he was looking for the perfect Jesus. In the absence of a Larry Bertrand, whom we always used as Jesus in our pageants, he chose H. B. Warner. And H.B. Warner was not particularly Christ-like in his conduct, and he said, look, if you're going to take this role, you've got to live into this role, and so you can't accept any contracts that would besmirch your presence in this movie in the next five years. He made him sign a contract of that, but he thought, how do I make him holy? And so he decided that he would bring him in an escorted uh, limousine. He would blacken the windows in a dark veil. <clears throat> he would bring him to the movie set. He would not allow him during the time of filming to, um, to engage in anything that might be considered fun. No playing cards, no swimming. You can't do anything that you want to do. You must I- inhabit this role. But Apparently, the pressure was too great for Warner. All of those rules and that regimen didn't really empower him. You see, without the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and a relationship with Jesus Christ, his best efforts to be Jesus Christ fell astray. And the pressure caused him during the filming to relapse into alcoholism. So how do we become holy? How do we obey the Lord and if it were just as easy as having more laws then I could just say to you obey the law but the problem is something within us doesn't want to obey the law thankfully God has not left us without help in this matter would you open your Bibles with me to the book of James today James chapter 1 You know about not being just hearers of the word, but being doers of the word. But did you know there is something before that that makes it all make sense? James 1, verses 16 to 27. Let's stand together, hear the word of the Lord, trust and obey. James chapter 1, verse 16. James has just told them when we sin. We can't blame God. It's not his fault. And so in verse 16, he says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, Slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word. You might underline word there. Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, He deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You may be seated. I love the heart of the psalmist when the psalmist says, Those who walk in God's ways do nothing wrong. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. It's not as though God grades on a curve. He really expects us to do what he has told us to do. And the minute the psalmist says that, in verse 5 of Psalm 119, he says, Oh, oh, that my heart were steadfast. I would like to obey your decrees because then I wouldn't be put to shame when I consider all your commands and and then he says, I, I will praise you with an upright heart and, and I, I will learn your laws. And, and then he just says it in verse eight, I will obey your decrees. But those last five words give us pause, don't they? When he, when he says, do not utterly forsake me, it's almost as if as the psalmist writes it. He knows, given his track record, he's not going to perfectly keep the law. Then we go to the New Testament and we hear Jesus saying in the Sermon on the Mount and really not making the law easier but almost harder when he shows us not just the law but the spirit of the law and says you've heard don't kill but I'm saying don't be angry. You've heard don't commit adultery but I'm saying don't lust. He really makes it harder doesn't he for us and then at the end of that he says to us if you do these things that I've Told you, then you'll be like a person who builds your house upon a rock, and when the wind blows and the storm comes and the floods rise, your home will stand. But if you hear these words and don't do them, you are building your life on sand, and the wind will blow and the storms will come, and your house will crash, and great will be the fall of your house. And all of this doesn't sound very encouraging for people like us who who've been trying hard, but if I could help us this morning, I would simply say to you that the difference between trying to obey and trust and obey is the difference between death and life. And so if you and I just say, we're just gonna try harder to do a little bit better, that seems to me to be a, a recipe for frustration. But if we say, I will trust. And here's where James helps us. Because before he says, don't just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Before he says that, he says, the God who gives every good and perfect gift is the God. Do you see the next verse? Verse 18, who gives us birth through the word of truth. So it's not our trying, but it's our trusting by which we meekly, that's the word really. Humbly receive the implanted word. It's as if Jesus is just acknowledging what we already knew that the keeping of his law can't be just a matter of external effort. It will have to come from the inside out or it will not happen at all. And it's when we trust him to implant his word in our hearts that instinctively, supernaturally, he empowers us to do what he always intended for us to do we will have to trust and obey because there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey let me show you what he means by trust when he says to us it's a matter of of being born again when Nicodemus came to him and said to him um you know, I know you're a good teacher and I want to receive eternal life. And Jesus looks at this man who's been trying so hard to keep the law and been very successful on a curve. Jesus says, a guy like you would have to be born again. Not once or twice, but three times. He says, yeah, you would have to be born again. And James, the brother of Jesus, perhaps um, he was a part of that, perhaps he just heard the story, but there comes that moment when he says, this God who gives every good and perfect gift, by the way, one of our families in the next service has chosen that verse to describe, doesn't that, isn't that a fitting verse to describe the gift of a child, you who have a new child, you who are about to have a child, you, you understand that this child is a gift from God. And these these children, when we look at them, they're, they're so good and they're so perfect and we look at them. But I love the next verse in which he anticipates the fact that each of these children has the opportunity and the potential to be born again through the truth of the word that is implanted in their hearts. And Jesus Christ is that word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and he became flesh and he dwelt among us and we have beheld his glory and until we trust in Jesus, we will forever fail in our best efforts to obey it's why um, Jeremiah, in chapter 17, verse one, would say to the people of God, "It's like somebody took a flint and inscribed sin." On your hearts, It's internal. Sin is not external, as though you could go and become a hermit somewhere and escape sin because sin is, as Solzhenitsyn says, a line that runs through the heart of every human being. And so he, he says, Jeremiah says in 17.1, it's like somebody wrote sin on your hearts, but he doesn't leave us there, does he? In chapter 31, verse 33, he says, but someday I will write my law on your minds. And your hearts, and this is the best part, don't miss this, and I will be your God and you will be my people. Oh, he said a mouthful. What he's saying is, at the end of the day, it's not about rules, it's about relationships. And those who are God's people, by trusting him to implant his word, he says, meekly receive the implanted word. What seed is it that can take a corrupt heart and make it holy, that can make a disobedient person become obedient? It's the the seed of the word of truth. We would say the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ came to die on the cross and rise again to save us from our sins. And when we receive that truth, that changes everything for people like us who are prone who are prone to disobey i mean there's something within us that inclines us to disobedience to god and he says it's not about you trying it's about you trusting it's why paul would say in acts chapter 26 verse 19 i was not disobedient to the heavenly call and the first act of obedience in our lives is to trust Christ to save us. And that's the beginning of the transformation of our lives. Think about the seed implanted. I was walking on the bayou the other night and I noticed my neighbor has a pecan tree and there are pecans lying around on the ground. And as I pondered that this week, I just thought if a person picked up one of those pecans and shelled the pecan it might not occur unless we knew something about botany or biology that in that little pecan that we're eating or like the pecan pie that I, that I ate at the sunshine classes uh, party on Friday at lunch. If, if we looked at that, who would, who would believe that that planted in the ground would grow that? And yet it has the potential to. Who when we see an acorn in the yard thinks this has the potential to grow a tree The truth is, if we could receive it, that that acorn, given enough fertile soil, would not just grow one tree, but those those trees would produce more acorns, and one acorn, given the right soil, has the potential to populate the whole earth with oak trees, just one seed. So what if Jesus Christ lived in us? Jesus Christ, who was the only one who perfectly kept the law, what if he lives in? in us. Listen, if Arian Foster lived in me, I could run the football. He doesn't, so I can't. But if he did, I could. If Andre Johnson lived in me, I could catch the football. He doesn't, so I can't. But Jesus Christ lives in me and also in you when you trust him as your personal Lord and Savior. And that's a decision you make to meekly receive the implanted word. But when we trust As Oswald Chambers says, it's not then that we just do good things and try to be right, but it's supernatural all through. And the goal of the Christian life is not to be a little bit better, but to become like Christ. And only Christ can make us like Christ. Trust and then obey. So verses 16 to 21 make sense of verse 22, saying to us, don't just be hearers of the word but here's the here's the literal Greek be becoming doers it's a process be becoming doers of the word always be becoming you've not arrived yet I don't I don't know how how good you're doing I was with some folks last night for a 50th birthday party down at at Brennan's and just thinking about that family I said to my wife last night I said they're so amazingly good and she countered they're so much like Christ. And I thought, how do people become like that? Because truthfully, I want to become like that. And the answer is that sanctification is a process by which God is transforming us and it does involve our effort and our obedience. Salvation doesn't involve our effort, but sanctification involves our collaboration and cooperation with God. It's his work and our work. So the same one who says um, by grace you've been saved through faith that's God's work but he he says you are God's workmanship that's God's work created for good works in Christ Jesus that's your work and he's given you the power to to trust and to obey and hearers of the word are simply deceived he said it's like a person who, who looks into a mirror and forgets what they look like. In our worship planning meeting this week, um, um, Matt Broadus said, maybe we forget who we are because we forget whose we are. And that's very close to it. That if we just hear, we will be deceived. He uses three different words from the Greek here to talk about self-deception. I remember some years ago, a comedian during that period of time when televangelists were crashing and burning all around us and And he said, I understand. He was on one of those late night talk shows. He said, I understand that the the televangelists are trying to come up with a code of ethics for televangelists, a code of conduct. And then he lifted a Bible and waved it high above his head and said, I thought they already had one. Ouch. It's odd when unbelievers begin to say to believers, why don't you live what you say you believe and the problem for us is that we forget, don't we? And then we delay. And Thomas Akempis said delayed obedience is disobedience. John Ortberg tells about a man in Los Angeles who um, was feeling nostalgic and sentimental. He went back to his um, home neighborhood he went back to the house where he was born he knocked on the door and he told the person who came to the door I was raised in this house and they said well come on in and look around and see what we've done to the place he said I love what you've done to the place and he thought for a moment he said would you mind if I went up in the attic and they said no go ahead true story he goes up in the attic he finds one of his old coats up there he puts it on to see if he can still wear his old coat he reaches in the pocket and finds a stub for shoes that he left for shoe repair 20 years before. you know what he did? He went to the shoe repair shop, just walked in nonchalantly, threw the stub down and said, are my shoes ready? The guy said, what they say to you when you go. He said, well, wait a minute. He goes in the back. He said, can you come back next Thursday? <laughs> he's only had them for 20 years, but he's, he's not quite ready yet. And sometimes we forget whose we are, then we forget who we are, and then we forget who God intended for us to be. But I love what James says, he says, but if you look into the perfect law of liberty, who knew the law gave liberty who could ever understand that God's commands could lead us to the greatest freedom? He says, they're the people who are actually makarios, the same word Jesus uses in the Beatitudes, the same word he uses in John chapter 13, verse 17, after he washes the disciples' feet, and he says, now that you know the right things to do, you are blessed, you are happy if you do them. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. So happily, we begin to do what God made us to do. And he goes on and describes it. He says we begin to control our tongues so we don't say things that hurt people. We begin, he says, to see the widows and the orphans and to say you are my responsibility and I want to love you and care for you in Jesus' name. And then he says there comes a point, sanctification, when we're unrighteous Spotted, unblemished, unsoiled by the world around us. The world can be a corrupt place, but we are to be lights in the darkness. God has made us for this to be transformed by his power so that we can do what he intends for us to do. I think about Tim Tebow's dad, Bob. He's not nearly as famous as his son, but Bob was a missionary to the Philippines. He established an orphanage, over there in a dangerous part of that country. Somebody said to him, aren't you afraid to go into that area? He said, I have never thought of obeying Jesus as being particularly dangerous. You already have eternal life. What can they take away from you? I think of that when I watch his son courageously run into a line that if you come from a family that's not afraid to die for the sake of the gospel, probably being tackled is not that big of a deal. And it occurs to me that God has made us for this. One act of obedience is greater than 100 sermons on the subject. Bill Hybels, the pastor of Willow Creek up in Chicago, was leaving a funeral with his wife, Lynn. He was walking across a parking lot when he saw a lady in a neighboring parking lot trying to unload her groceries. She was an elderly lady and the Lord said to him very clearly, help her take her groceries to her apartment he thought, I don't know how to tell Lynn this, but he just told her, he said, I've got to deal with God. I'm trying to obey him, and he's told me to go help this lady. She said, go ahead. And, and so he did, not knowing that there was construction, that it would take him 30 minutes, that he would be soaking wet by the time he got all of her groceries up to her house. But she took his hand in hers and said, I will believe till my dying day that God sent you to help me today. And Hybels concludes that it's in those small acts of obedience that we learn that it's good not only to hear God's word, but to heed God's word. And maybe, maybe in those small acts of obedience, God prepares us for larger acts of obedience that will impact the kingdom for God. So if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ and you're not sure you believe in all this, can I ask you in view of the fact that James says you must receive the word of God implanted in your heart Have you done that yet? And if you are a believer, can I ask you just four questions this morning? What has God told you to do? The second one's harder. Why haven't you done it? The third one's even more difficult. When are you going to do what God has told you to do? And the fourth one is best of all. Why not right now? Let's pray. God, thank you for your amazing, powerful love We want to be obedient. We're like the psalmist, but we know, Lord, our track record. And so we come to you not trying, but trusting you to make us who we've never been before. God, give us the grace to obey you today by receiving Christ as our Savior and starting a lifetime of obedience by not just hearing your word, but doing what you say.